Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick while giving my commentary. And today we're going to be looking at a short story published in 1959. So this is going to be part of a short series on the novel, on the stories published in 1959 as a follow-up to my look at Philip Dick's 1959 novel, Time Out of Joint. So this story is called Recall Mechanism, and it's it's a it's very interesting it's it's not his last attempt at something like this but it's as far as i can tell it's his first he has dealt with mental illness before there is a story what was it called it was called shell game in which we saw a group of paranoid soldiers trying to survive on a planet who it turns out there were there's really no threat, but they're preparing for threats every day. So that that's kind of about how this, this relationship between what seems to be rational actions of people trying to defend themselves is in reality just a form of paranoia. In a way, recall mechanism, and then later on, the novel Martian Time Slip, where Dick tries to play with this idea a little bit broader, it's actually the inverse of this. So what you have in these cases are apparent mental illnesses although the martian time slip it's it's not really a mental illness it's it's autism but anyways it's it's presented in a straightforward way early in the story but then later on you realize or you're, you're taught that these are actually just uh types of precognition or different kind of abilities that these that, that these characters have but to outsiders they 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 appear to be some kind of disorder. So in recall mechanism, what you have here is a case of a very specific type of paranoia that gets explained away as a very low-grade type of precognition. And it's suggested that this is a fairly common explanation you can have for these types of uh, mental illnesses. In this case, it's paranoia. Another thing Dick does in recall mechanism that he that surprisingly he hasn't really done up to this point with the exception of maybe the man who japed where you get a little bit of this. And that is to really look at the mental health professional as a character or a figure that's a bit of a threat, as a bit of a dangerous figure, someone that can't be really trusted. And we know that Philip Dick consumed mental health resources at various times in his life. Um, I don't know how much he had by the time this, this story was written, but it's it's something he would spend a lot of time with in his life and later on he's going to deal with this figure of the psychotherapist a lot more um, but you have a little bit of that in the man who japed where again this meant the the psychotherapist is a threat is someone who's dangerous he he's actually trying to kidnap the character um, and we're going to see in like Vulcan's hammer there's also going to be this kind of idea of psychotherapy as a type of prison and that was actually written uh, before this story. I think that was written back in 1952 or 53. Now, in recall mechanism, you have the same idea that the, you can't trust the mental health professional. So let's talk about it. Um, recall mechanism was published in If, 
uh, a, a magazine that Dick published a lot of stories in, in July of 1959. Now, the editors of the collected stories of Philip Dick don't have a date for when this this um, story was submitted to his agent, but they put it between Minority Report and the Unreconstructed M. So between two stories about the theme of, of criminal justice, we have the story of, of mental illness here. Now, that would have put it being written sometime in 1956, and it took three years to, to be published. Um, so anyways, let's, let's jump into this story a little bit. Um, now, it's not a very long story. It's only 13 pages. Um, and it's got it's it's one of these stories that has a really tight idea. It's not sprawling and it's it's not epic, but it's a really pretty idea. So we really just have two characters here. We have Humphreys, an analyst, a psychotherapist of some sort, and he's got his new patient, a man named Sharp. And they start out, and this is where I think Dick is really taking a stab a little bit at the profession of psychotherapy is that they actually start discussing the nature of the relationship and then discussing the non-hierarchical protocols that are at the heart of the psychotherapist-patient relationship. And the symbol for this is the removal of the couch. So Humphreys says, the couch vanished back in 1980. Post-war analysts felt enough confidence to face their patients on an equal level. Your secretary gave me the details. She said you wanted a conference. End quote. So anyways, the, the reason for the couch, apparently, in Dick's view, was that it gave the, the therapist a, a false sense of authority over, over the patient, when maybe it was the other way around. But now they're more confident, so they can look their patients in the eye. So anyways, um, Sharp then talks about his work in the Division of War Destruction Salvage. And so we got another kind of post-apocalyptic uh, setting where there, it's a big business to then salvage all this, this stuff that was destroyed during the war. And then Sharp tells Humphrey that he's been having these hallucinations. So anyways, um, so Sharp's in his living room reading reports on carrot mutations and infestations of mutated rats, more post-apocalyptic um, stuff. These are a problem because the government is only focusing on eliminating the human mutations, but he's worried that there's these non-human mutations will become more important and dangerous and, and develop over time. So Giller comes into his house, disrupting Sharp's work, and Sharp offers Giller a beer and asks why he's interrupting his day. And he says he just wants to say hi to someone from the same pre-war farming community. But Giller's real business here is he wants to ask for funding to help rebuild that area. It's the Penultima Sonoma region, which is a specialist region, I guess it's in California, specialized in an egg and wine production. Sharp points out that kind of in the reclamation work, that region's rather low priority. And after getting Giller out of the house, Sharp experiences a very intense feeling of vertigo, causing him to stumble to the ground. And he wondered why he's had this intense fear of falling for so long. He's rarely left the ground, so he's never been a person who's kind of played around with height so he never had like an intense personal experience but here is this is sharp telling the story of his feeling of vertigo and the feeling of why he's afraid of heights and this is one of the moments where he felt this this terror of of heights so humphrey hears this story and hears about this vertigo and 
Humphrey, it, it's for him. It's kind of a banal thing. So it's you know he's seen this many times before. Fear of falling is a very very common phobia, and he hears about Sharp's childhood in the war. And Humphrey suggests that his phobia maybe was rooted in his childhood anxiety about being trapped. So he's being, I guess, kind of Freudian, going back to childhood and early experiences to explain um, psychological disorders. Sharp rejects this. He says he didn't have any of this anxiety about being trapped. And after hearing about other incidents in his life, so he goes on and tells more stories that, that feed into the story of, the, of his vertigo and his fear of flying, Humphrey suggests that an analysis will read back his life and then they'll be able to determine what the cause of the fear is. So then he gives him a test. And this is, again, something that Dick did in The Man Who Japed, which shows that there's like a technological test that can be done for psychological um, problems. So rather than just talking and then having to work through that way, there's, there's actually clinical kind of tests that can be done and give some kind of concrete, definite answer to, you know, how we categorize people's mental illnesses. And I think that's a little kind of interesting prediction that, that Dick's given here. Especially the more we learn about mental illness, we learn that many of them do have physiological components to them and, you know, biological components and hereditary heredity. So maybe there's something like this could be possible in the future. So then Humphrey gives this test and he's very quickly able to determine the event that caused Sharp's fear of heights. And he tells Sharp this and he what it is, is he's he's going to be attacked and he's going to fall through a hatch of an airplane. And he's going to die and he's going to you know, fall from the sky. Uh, this is a true memory, but it hasn't happened yet because Sharp is a precog. So here we get it. So paranoia of this type, fear of heights or maybe other types of fears are actually forms of precognition where you're actually living your death. And that's what causes this fear. Now, Sharp has this as a true memory, but he suppresses the memory. And that's what makes it kind of a a fear because he's a very kind of low level precog he really doesn't have you know he's not as powerful as some of these other precogs we've met in his stories so it's just he really just remembers this knows this one thing humphrey begins other tests to locate the experience and the feelings surrounding the event so so he's able to maybe treat sharp so now sharp experiences a memory of walking through some snow-covered ruins as part of this reclamation effort you know, the overall reclamation effort that he's involved with his job, right? Humphrey sends Sharps back to an even earlier memory. And this time it's the memory, the memory is of Giller pressing Sharp to invest these resources to reclaim the Pentaluma region that, that was referred to earlier in the story. In this memory, he looks at the calendar and realizes that the events that caused the phobia took place in the future. Sharp leaves Humphrey's office. Humphrey gives him a prescription for his fears, but he knows there's really nothing that can be done for the man who is precognitive of his own death. It's, it's, he's seen this before, and so that's as surprising as this is, it's apparently a fairly common reason people show up with these, these fears. Humphrey then makes a call informing the special talents agency that he has located a latent precog. The agency, though, is not interested. There's a, simply too many latent precogs whose ability manifested only as individual nuances, right? Had he been able to actually predict the future of the world, someone like, you know, Jones, for instance, or, or, or the people in 
Simon, he'll uh, heal my child or, or something like that, then maybe they'd be useful. But these are really kind of useless forms of, of precognition. So that, that's the story, essentially. We do get kind of a, a little epilogue at the end of the story in which we learn that, th that Sharp is not the only one like this. So, so we meet someone named Charles Bamberg, who's another psychiatrist who's meeting a new patient who has a compulsion, a compulsion to climb upstairs and to push people off from high areas. Bramberg diagnoses as quickly as repressed hostility, but we can, of course, put two, two together, and Bramberg is the one who's going to kill Sharp you know, because he has this compulsion to push people. And he's also kind of reflecting his, he's also a precog, I guess, is the implication at this point in the story. So that's it. That's all that happens in, in recall me mechanism, plot-wise. But let's talk a little bit more about the, the themes and uh, try to provide some analysis to this story. Okay, so obviously this is a very clever precog story that ex ex attempts to explain a very, very common mental illness and actually a pretty insignificant low-grade one. I mean, a, a fear of heights is hardly uncommon or, or debilitating in any serious way. But then it explains it as a manifestation of a psychic ability, in this case, precognition. So it, it, in the 1960s novels, Dick is going to have a lot more to say about the origins of, of mental illness and about psychotherapy. It really almost becomes an obsession. I, I think that must be because that's when he starts consuming mental health care to a larger to a larger degree you pretty much every novel pub, published in the 1960s after man in the high castle is dealing in one way or another with mental illness it comes up again and again and you know it's and he's very much interested in the psychotherapist he's interested in the patient he's interested in explanations for where mental illness comes from He's interested in how it affects interpersonal relationships. It's actually, you know, in the same way in the 1950s, he was interested in posthumanism so much and interested in the origin of religion. In the 1960s, it really becomes mental illness that becomes his overriding obsession. And this is an early taste of that. Now, Martian time slip is the most fully developed of these stories, which uses the ability to time shift as an explanation for autism. Now, this one could be categorized with those stories or it could be categorized as a post-human story that shows that mutants will not necessarily be in control and as I've talked about with the other post-human stories early when Dick was playing with this idea of the mutant especially in the golden man he has this idea of of them as a threat to humanity something that needs to be suppressed and we're almost on the side of the police suppressing the post-human because they're so dangerous but then there's he kind of shifts at some point and starts to look at post-humans a little bit more as banal people who their abilities either aren't used as effectively as they could be for really transformative things or they their powers really aren't broad enough to do that much and this is the latter of course but you had also have stories like captive market where someone with this really amazing ability that really could be life-altering for for all of us ends up being very banal uh, she just uses it to sell goods in a way the world jones made has this as well for a while now jones does use his ability in profound ways by the end but early in the story he's just like a sideshow performer but the point here is that the mutants aren't in control so if, if impressive post-human abilities, impressive precognition, like we see in Minority Report, makes people barely functional as humans, the more subtle abilities 
still shift people enough outside of the mainstream to create what appears to us to be a mental illness. And that's what we have here. Or maybe it's just a neurosis, maybe it's a learning disability, maybe it's something else. But what we have here is a very subtle type of precognition, barely registered, really not very useful, very focused on just one thing, but it still makes him different enough that he can't function. And of course, we can compare this to the precogs we have in the minority report in which they can't really do anything except kind of babble. The useful sociological critique that extends from this is that people who we deem as mentally ill are simply having a different perspective on the world and therefore are not really sick. And this is part of a, of a broader critique in the 1960s of psychotherapy, which was fairly common. And I think it's one that Dick more or less embraced. It's, you know, there's different categories of it. Of course, you have the in criticism of the institutions of mental health care, but you had other people saying that there was really no such thing as mental illness, that people are simply living like dysfunctional within a sick society. And I'll talk about this more in, in future episodes, those theories that, that Dick must have been at least aware of if he didn't read them directly. And that's kind of here. It's like, you know, this person isn't mentally ill, but still is kind of forced into psychotherapy. This man who has a fear of falling is simply living out the last moments of his life. There's really nothing wrong with him, that, at least nothing that can be repaired by the medium of, of psychotherapy. But, and I, that's pretty much the core of our analysis. But I also think the institutional background of recall mechanism is worth mentioning. First, we have a nuclear war that leaves the world devastated. We have a completely new role for government here. The primary role of the government is to carefully manage resources to help reform the Earth bit by bit. So basically, the gov Earth, government of Earth has been become obsessed with reclamation. And this is something we've actually seen before. It's in the world Jones made. It's in The Man Who Japed. In fact, moral reclamation is a theme in that novel. We have it in John's World. We have it in, I think, Surface Raid. These are stories re really about the effort after a war that's going to have to go into remaking the Earth uh, and bring people back. And it becomes very bureaucratic. And the character Sharp is actually a fairly powerful figure who can, who uses his power to decide which areas and which regions are going to get resources for the reclamation effort. So there's a lot of power there. Um, now, but others in the government are involved with cleaning up another problem, not the problem of dirt and radiation and, and garbage and war debris, but the post-human problem, another remnant of the war. Many people since the war have been born with abilities. Some are powerful and can be used by the special talents agency, as it's called. Others are threats that must be dealt with in the same way as, as the mutated Detroit rats that are mentioned in this story. So in the crawlers and the golden man, we have this, the idea of the government agency sent to find mutants and track them down. Here, the psychotherapists have been recruited into this effort. So Sharp is one of these talented people who fit into this discarded category, the category of people that must be destroyed or dealt with in some way. But his ability is so focused and so innocuous that it only causes him personal discomfort. He's not a threat to anyone, so the government decides to, to let him go. He'll be left on his own, receiving just the minimal health care that he needs to, to survive. So anyways, what we have here then are kind of two reclamation efforts that go on simultaneously. One is the reclamation of the physical earth, and the other is a reclamation of these individuals who have been transformed or born abnormal by the war. 
And then there's, a, of course, government recruits psychotherapists to help root these people out. So here's where we get the idea of the psychotherapist as a threat, as a dangerous figure, someone you can't trust, someone with an ulterior motive. And um, this is something that Dick is going to do a lot with in future novels in particular. Now, we get the presumption of patient protection in the psychiatrist's office. And in fact, that's how Dick starts the story. It's actually the, talking about equality between the patient and the doctor, the protections to patients, confidentiality that's given. Of course, it's all presented by the end of the story as a facade. Doctors and patients are even going to see each other eye to eye, not use a couch. But if anything, that if any, and he's told that if anything the patient reports, find its ways in the hand in, of security agencies, the psychiatrist is liable. So we have all this apparatus of protecting the patient. But as soon as Sharp leaves the office, he's betrayed. And Humphrey, the psychotherapist, calls the special talents agency informing them of his discovery. Right. So it's essentially like like Facebook. Right. It puts us this facade of security that our, our information is is protected, but actually it's sold off the minute we click on the the OK, the we I agree box on the on the form. It seems that these protections only have the function of making the patient feel more comfortable so they'll be able to be more honest and effective in their psychotherapy. Now, that's an interesting question. Let's say we live in a totalitarian society in which psychotherapists are required to report all their findings to the government. Wouldn't you still then want to at least pretend that patient knowledge is protected in order to most effectively treat? Can a psychotherapist do his job without at least the facade of patient confidentiality? Now, what we learn instead, though, is, of course, that psychotherapists are in fact, adjuncts, adjuncts of state power and part of the surveillance state and part of part of the government, part of their overall reclamation efforts. So um, that's that. That's the story. But this is just for fun. Uh, one last bit. So th I found this website called Global Psychics. Um, and the article they, they published here is called Coping with Fear, the Role of Fear in Being Psychic. And essentially, they, they argue the same thing. They argue that fears that people feel are actually functions of psychic abilities, of untrained and unknown and undeveloped psychic, psychic abilities. Um, for, I'll just read a little bit of this. Quote, the trouble is not all of our fears are obvious. For example, I'm afraid of snakes. No counting for the fear. I just am. I probably always will be, at least in this lifetime. I suspect, however, that this is a very old fear rooted in past lives and experiences. It has always been so obvious a fear in me. Other fears are not so obvious. I was shocked in a camping trip to realize that I choked whenever I saw my boyfriend wield an axe. This, too, must be rooted in a past life since there was no explanation for it in this. Then there are fears that are deeply buried within our psych psyche, nameless, nameless drives, force, forcing, force, nameless driving forces in our lives, triggering habitual reactions that we barely notice. Fears of inadequacy, fears of weakness, and even unworthiness eat away our consciousness and influence our behavior in ways that can hurt us. So anyways, that's, so this is a real idea out there among, among psychics. So I, I don't know if you believe in that sort of thing. I, I certainly don't. 
but you know it's 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 an idea that's out there at least and i don't know who first thought of it but i like it i think this is a very fascinating idea and it really feeds into some stories that dick is going to write in the 1960s on these issues of of mental illness so that's going to do it for this episode thank you so much for for listening i'll be back next time with another uh, philip k dick short story published in 1959 it's going to be fair game which is a very kind of light and humorous story actually it was written way back in 1953 so it's a, it's another kind of leftovers is something that as dick was cleaning up his stack of stories and getting them published he, you know there, he found this old one under the couch or something and it finally got published in 1959 six years after it was written but we'll look at that in the next episode. But if you have any of your own comments about recall mechanism or psychic abilities and mental illness or what Dick writes about psychotherapy and mental illness, please leave your comments below. I'd love to hear from from you. Um, but if not, I'll be back next time with, with Fair Game. my tired thoughts That leaving dies, that leaving dies.